Shalom. I'm reading Isaiah 52, verses 1 through 12. Awake, awake, Zion, clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor. Jerusalem, the holy city, the uncircumcised and defiled, will not enter you again. Shake off your dust, rise up, sit enthroned, Jerusalem. Free yourself from the chains on your neck, daughter of Zion, now a captive. For this is what the Lord says, You were sold for nothing, and without money you will be redeemed. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, At first my people went down to Egypt to live. Lately Assyria has oppressed them. And now what do I have here, declares the Lord? For my people have been taken away for nothing, and those who rule them mock, declares the Lord. And all day long my name is constantly blasphemed. Therefore, my people will know my name. Therefore, in that day, they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, it is I. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, you watchmen, lift up their voices. Your watchmen, lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing, come out from it and be pure, you who carry the articles of the Lord's house. But you will not leave in haste or go in flight, for the Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. I wanted to thank everybody who prayed my recovery. I'm grateful to be alive and well. And uh, thank you. Uh, I somewhat uh, partially feel like the bionic man in having uh, different uh, stitches, staples, and so on, which will be removed soon. And uh, one of our gals asked me if I had had nightmares as a result of that, and I said, no. Really, truly have not had much by way of thoughts, concerns about it. Um, just really felt the Lord's presence. Um, throughout these past couple of weeks, and I would say as much as anything, a real sense of urgency to press forward. Not just because that I, I sense that the time is short, but because God has given all of us a commission to serve Him. He has given me a commission, He's given all of us, and that as time goes on, you get the fact that life is really about serving God. Amen? You know, you do your own thing, and, and uh, by the way, that's not different in ministry. Um, 
all of us can engage in performing our agenda and our priorities and at some point we get we wake up and smell the coffee and get the fact that you know what life is really all about all about is God's agenda God's priorities and as as we seek to follow in the path he's prepared for us there's joy and peace and a basic sense of direction and fulfillment so I just um Again, I thank all of you for your prayers, but I give thanks first of all to the Lord for His mercy. And um, I want to do that, pause for a minute and do that. Lord God, we thank you and bless your name because you are our protector. We thank you, Lord God, that you know us intimately, inside and out. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that you love us. Lord, we look into your word and we desire, Lord God, to have eyes of faith to see what you have in mind for each of us to learn so that we can apply it, so that we can be men and women of God who are fully equipped to serve you in every good work. We ask this, Lord, in Yeshua's name. Amen. Just a couple of thoughts I wanted to share. If you're new to us, um, the traditional greeting for tomorrow night is Shana Tova. You can do better. Shana Tova. Sometimes you'll see it as Lishana Tova, which, according to my humble opinion, is wrong because it is somewhat like saying, to a good year, to a happy year. And that's a short version of Lishana Tova Tikatevu Vetechatemu, which for most people is a bit of a mouthful. And what, what that basically means is, may you be written in God's book of life written and sealed in God's book of life, which is an awesome uh, blessing, isn't it? That, that we not only wish, we pray for individuals to be added to God's roster. So again, if you haven't done so, if you have Jewish friends, let me encourage you to go to... Uh, a store that sells Jewish items and pick up a card, send it to your Jewish friend and say, Lashana Tova Tekatevu Vatechatemu. Right? Or just say, or, or just, uh, just say, may you, um, just give, uh, offer the standard greeting of may your name be inscribed in God's book of life. You can say that in English, right? Yeah. All right, good. This is part of our ongoing education <laughs> so that we learn to walk in a mile in Jewish moccasins. If you're not Jewish, if you are Jewish, you know about those moccasins. I was intrigued by looking at the um, heading 
in this particular Bible, the New American Standard Bible, that says, cheer for a prostrate Zion. Don't you find that a little bizarre? Um, when you cheer, you usually cheer for someone who is going great guns. And you look at someone who is prostrate, prostrate and uh, you have compassion, or perhaps you pity them. The two are very jarring, and this is, in a sense, what you find in Scripture, in the prophetic word of God, where you have both on one hand and on the other hand. You see, in Isaiah particularly, up to chapter 39, you have a dark tone, gloom, doom, and gloom. Uh, God through Isaiah reading the riot act to everybody not just to Israel but to Babylon and to other nations for their sin and you certainly continue with some of that here in this second portion of Isaiah because Israel in, I in Isaiah's time was a mess the northern kingdom was about to be hauled off to exile by the Assyrians. They were apostate. Uh, they were rotten fruit. They had been engaged in idol worship of one kind or, or another. And Judah really, frankly, was not a whole lot better. What you have with Judah, as you read the historic books of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, you see that you you have almost a yo-yo, well, a, a sort of back and forth, good king, bad king, good king, bad king, and including in, in Isaiah's time, and um, but yet here you see the light of God's hope shining through a dismal time. And you know, it's so contemporary for us, isn't it? When you think about the fact that we live in a society that is not godly by any stretch of the imagination. Um, if you've been hearing the news, you, you know the awful things have been taking place uh, in the Middle East because of a foolish movie that some Coptic Egyptian fellow from California put together and it's as if someone took a match and threw it into uh, into a, a gasoline uh, can um, and so for us what we see here in Isaiah's prophecy is very germane very timely for us because we have to learn as we read and process from the Word of God how to understand the times and the seasons we live in, understand the facts on the ground, but be able to look beyond the facts on the ground and see God's larger plans and purposes. And as I've been saying the last couple of Shabbatot, it is so easy for us then as we read Isaiah and Jeremiah and the prophetic passages to to be somewhat myopic and look to extract those precious promises that we can apply in our own life 
and basically jettison, pitch everything else out. Which is basically what is done a lot of times. Um, but part of my desire, and I hope your desire as well, is to go deep in the Word of God. To have a greater depth and a greater maturity in understanding what the Word of God is about so that we see who God is and what God is doing and then understand how we fit in what God is doing. The Lord wants us to give us a larger perspective so that we are at peace knowing that He is in control, that He is working a plan, and that we are part of the plan. Rather than say, God, I, I want to know who am I, what am I now, forget everything else. The Lord wants to bring us into the fullness of understanding of, of what He has prepared. And particularly for us who are part of a Messianic Jewish congregation, understand what God has for Israel and what God has for Israel and through Israel what God has for the nations. It gives us a holistic, a balanced perspective so that we understand who we are in relation to who God is. And I want to encourage you as we go through these prophetic passages that you seek discernment from the Spirit of God to know and to, to understand how to tune into that. The picture we see here of Jerusalem, which is, uh, and, and uh, Judah personified as, as a woman, is pathetic. You know, when you think of someone sitting in a dust, what kind of an image does that convey to you? Obviously not somebody who is celebrating and having a good time. When you couple that with the fact that, that this uh, woman is being described as having, in verse 2, having chains around her neck, that kind of fits, that completes the picture. You see someone who is not only mourning, but someone who is oppressed, obviously heading for slavery and for exile. And if you know anything about the Babylonians and Assyrians, you, you'll remember that these were not nice people. Uh, we know, for example, Manasseh, who was one of the last kings of Judah. Um, God wanted to get his attention. And this guy did everything under the sun that God said not to do. And, and the Lord got his attention. He brought the Babylonians. They hauled him to exile with a hook through his nose and brass shackles. Can you imagine walking uh, a couple months with that? And at some point, he wakes up and smells the coffee and says, Okay, God, I get the message. And he has a little transaction with God and, and uh, he repents. God restores him. But in any event, my point simply was that you did not have the Geneva Convention back in those days. 
It was brutal. And so the picture here is, is a brutal one. And yet, in the midst of that, God calls on this person, on this woman, to shake everything off. By the way, he said you were sold without money and you will be purchased, you will be redeemed without money. Again, it's, it's grim. Gives you the picture of, of a slave market where everybody who was worth something was sold uh, and, and, and bought. And uh, the leftovers were basically given to whoever just wanted to, to take the individual. Very grim picture. And yet the Lord speaks through Isaiah and says, Awake, awake, O Zion, clothe yourself with strength. Now it's a picture of urgency. You might not get it because when you think of waking, um, you may not think of a time where you are springing to action. You know, a lot of times you wake up and you've got cobwebs and um, you're in the middle of a dream and, and you're sort of half beamed, half not beamed. You know what I'm saying? Um, the picture here is, is a call to action. Something like what happens when you when you uh, oversleep and uh, you hit the alarm and then you wake up later and you look again at oh, what's going on? You spring into action in time to throw on your clothes, do something and get out because you're, you're running late. I think we can all relate to that. That's kind of the picture, urgency. And by the way, in, in Isaiah, in these passages, you have these commands that are repeated twice. Not, not just awake, but awake, awake! Get on with it. Um, get dressed, get dressed. Because it's designed to get people's attention and recognize the fact that, yes, things are grim and difficult right now, but God is about to spring into action. And he wants you to be part of the plan. By the way, did you wonder why it speaks about putting on clothes of beauty? This is not because God wants Jerusalem to look particularly beautiful for her own sake. But remember that the beauty and the splendor of the people of God represent the beauty and the splendor of God himself. So for instance, when the Lord said to, to Moses about, when the Lord gave instruction to Moses how to prepare garments for the high priest, they were to be garments of splendor. Why? Because Aaron was to represent God and he could not be presented shabbily. So again, this is really not about Jerusalem per se. It is first of all about the Lord. And you get the sense that as the Lord is looking at a prostrate Jerusalem, Jerusalem that's in the dust and shackled, he is distressed. 
You may not get that, but in verse 5, the translations have it, and now what have I here? What do I have here? Basic sense here is, what's up with this? The Lord is looking at the situation and is saying, you know, this is totally unacceptable. It is unacceptable for my people to be in the dust, to be oppressed. Why? Because it reflects very poorly on me. And so the picture here is that first and foremost, not just for Jerusalem's sake, but first of all, for God's sake, the picture has to change. The picture has to change. The people of God have to, have to be properly attired and, and clothed for the display of God's splendor. You know, you, you may have heard the, the slogan put out by Vidal Sassoon, if you look good, we look good. I know it's not in the Bible, but uh, <laughs> but that's in essence to reverse it. Um, the picture has to change, and yes, it it will involve Jerusalem and and Judah and and Israel and Jewish people and so on. But the picture has to change first and foremost for God's sake, because. The situation is so unacceptable and so grim that it makes God look awful among the pagans. It's not about us looking just right. It is about God looking just right. And when you think about to make the application for us, And yes, you hear this absolute foolishness about the prosperity teaching, prosperity gospel that God wants everybody to, um, to look good and, and to have the perfect houses and the perfect cars and, and uh, to be smiling, etc., etc. Uh, that's an extreme perversion of the truth of the Word of God. It is the word of God, folks, that God is committed to blessing and blessing his people and seeing to it that we flourish. Now, it's not a simple kind of a teaching because it somehow encompasses the fact that underneath that, God also allows us to go through times of, of suffering and, and times of trials and where we get pruned and where we are refined. That's also part of the picture. However, in the scheme of things... God does not want his people looking messed up and diseased and beaten up and oppressed. It does not bring glory to God. And yes, it happens, but what really brings glory to God, folks, is the fact that God <clears throat> rolls up the sleeves and get to work, gets to work and brings about the restoration. He takes the mess and he brings about the restoration. You know, p part of what happens is that sometimes we see messes in our life, and we all have at least one of them, right? Amen? I guess I'm the only one that has them. 
And we are preoccupied and obsessed with those things that just boggle our mind. We don't know what to do. We can get our arms around it. We don't understand it, let alone try to fix it and figure and, and make everything the way it's supposed to. Those are prime opportunities for God to display just who He is, to display His tender love for us and His power. Remember that when the Lord brought about creation, He didn't go to Target and pick up a, a kit and assemble the kit. You can tell where my mind is. You have a nine-year-old and you kind of learn. Scripture tells us in Genesis that the earth was tohu vavohu. It was, it was waste and void and f or formless and empty. And God created the universe out of that. And redemption is basically a follow-up of that process of creation. Redemption means that God is seeking to bring back to prime condition and better than, than initial condition things that are currently in a mess. We've been seeing in Hosea chapter 14, last Shabbat, where the Lord says, I will heal their apostasy, their waywardness. The Lord doesn't say, eh, they're not really too bad. You know, boys will be boys, and et cetera, et cetera. No, the Lord calls it for what it is, waywardness, apostasy. The Lord has no problem with honesty and dealing with facts on the ground. God's problem with us is when we park on, the fa on those facts on the ground, where we refuse to see anything beyond the facts on the ground, where we are not willing to acknowledge and recognize God's love for us, God's sovereign plans for us, God's sovereign power to bring into effect those plans. That's when we get ourselves into trouble because we're, we refuse to see God being greater and, and transcending the mess on, on the ground. And Isaiah is describing something that is a mess and God finds it totally unacceptable because among other things, it, well, let me rephrase that. It first and foremost speaks poorly about who he is. You see a very vivid description of that in Ezekiel. And I just want to read to you, if you can turbo turn, please do so. Otherwise, just please listen. Ezekiel 36, I dispersed, verse 19, I dispersed them among the nations and wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name. They made my, my name be just common and ordinary. And it was said of them, these are the Lord's people, yet they had to leave this land. And I had concern for my holy name. Hebrew word there for concern is literally my my insides were stirred up. Which the house of Israel profane among the nations. Therefore, this is verse 22, which by the way leads to the 
portion that we recite each Shabbat as part of the Torah service. We recite Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. This leads into it. Therefore say to the house of Israel, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which, you have, which has been profaned among the nations. The name you have profaned among them, then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I show myself holy before your eyes. Notice that the Lord who has this profound, relentless, unbelievable love for Israel also has a profound, relentless love for the nations. Because part of what he wants to do with Israel is bring about the restoration so the nations will look at Israel and say, wow, this is quite the God. And yes, we want to worship him because we see that he has the power to bring about restoration. We've been seeing this throughout uh, the last three weeks, how that God has a plan for Israel and that integrally connected to it is the fact that God has a plan for the nations through what he wants to do for Israel. So yeah, we've been talking about Israel a lot as we are preparing for the holidays, the Moadim. But you cannot have love for Israel and be oblivious and indifferent to the nations. Not possible. So again, you look at a situation that seems to be grim. In this case, the, the woman who is shackled and sitting in the dust and being hauled off to slavery and exile. Very grim, and the natural conclusion is to say, you know, this is hopeless. And that's how we view things that seem to be difficult as we consider them to be hopeless. And it's a, it's a battle of faith, folks. It's a battle of faith. It's a battle of faith for all of us. And it was that way for, for Apostle Paul, Rav Shaul, where people in Rome were saying to him, you know, Paul, you've been preaching, preaching, preaching about Israel and what God wants to do. And, and clearly, whatever it is that God wanted to do with Israel has gone the way of the buffalo. Paul didn't know about buffaloes then. But Paul says in, in Romans 9.2, is it, uh, excuse me, 9.6, it is not as though God's word has failed to Israel. And, and the word for failed there in, in Greek has a sense of a ship, a sailing boat that has drifted and been blown off course and run aground. In other words, He's saying it is not as if God's engine has run out of gas and it's pitched off the side, basically useless. A very powerful metaphor, a very powerful picture. 
you know, I, I remember coming from college, coming through the uh, glorious um, scenery of Kansas <laughs> at 2 o'clock in the morning, running out of gas. And uh, the Lord is merciful. Somebody came by fairly quickly and took me to a gas station. And so I know what, what it means to be in that position. But Paul's saying that's not the case. That's not the case. God's program for Israel has not run, of, run out of gas. In chapter 11, he, he spends a great deal of time talking about the remnant and saying that God does great things from small beginnings. Things that are very unimpressive. Romans 11, he speaks about the remnant, the little itty-bitty segment that is still around, still alive, that God is going to use, that God is using. By the way, it's my deep conviction that the Messianic Jewish movement is part of what God is doing in raising up a remnant in Israel. By the way, I, I make no apology for referring to this as the Messianic Jewish movement, folks. A lot of times people just uh, delete the word Jewish out of it. The Messianic Jewish movement doesn't mean that there's no place for Gentiles in the movement. Far, far from it. All of us, Jews and Gentiles, who understand God's plan for Israel and who are committed to seeing it happen are part of that vision. So yes, the Messianic Jewish movement. God uses small beginnings. And we are less than 1% of the total number of Jewish people worldwide. Definitely a remnant. But God hasn't finished with us. God is not finished with us. Because God is faithful to keep His promises. And um, I was reading a Bible story to Isaiah a few nights ago. We use this uh, Bible book stories. Wonderful stuff. Whoever wrote it did a marvelous job with one major exception. And I read this and uh, I felt like my blood vessels were going to pop. <laughs> so I had to read to you this statement to bring you into that joy as well. <laughs> During his ministry, Jesus often referred to the fact that the Jews would not be the chosen people in the kingdom of God which he was bringing to the world, but that Gentiles would be God's chosen people. This was a different interpretation of what the prophets of the Old Testament had said. And of course, they are referring to Matthew 21, the parable of the vineyard and the workers. But I thought to myself, um, are they referring to the Book of Mormon? I, I don't see that Yeshua often referred to the fact that Israel is no longer part of God's plan. So 
So yeah, it, it, it is really easy to see that because it is an extreme. It's over here and we say, this is bad. You know, put it in, in, a, in a box and tar and feather it. But when you stop and think about it, how firmly and passionately do we really believe that God is at work in the nation of Israel? Yeah, we understand that at some point he's going to get the job done. Everything is going to be uh, fixed. But do we see the hand of God at work in the nation of Israel today? You know, in the 60s and 70s with tens of thousands of Jewish young people coming to know Yeshua, it was as obvious as the nose in my face. God was doing something remarkable. But you know, the last 20 or 30 years, the numbers have trickled down with some exceptions, such as the Russian Jews. And so we look at a situation where there isn't a ton happening in terms of facts on the ground and we have to s step back and say, okay God, are you at work and do you have power to fulfill your plans and purposes for the nation of Israel? And it seems to me that our place in God's plan for the nation of Israel, our particular place as individuals and as a congregation has to first of all revolve around this issue, this battle of faith. Yes, we see the facts on the ground. We know that in Israel, in the Galilee, um, you have festivals to honor the Indian goddess Shiva. That's part of the facts on the ground. And I can go on and on and on. However, do we, do we say, first of all to ourselves, about Israel's God, your God reigns. That is fact number one, folks. If we don't know and understand and, and embrace the fact that God reigns, we have no basis from which to do anything. Because if we do anything, it's based on us. But if, on the other hand, we look at the facts on the ground and say, Lord, I, I, I don't fully understand the facts on the ground. However, you reign. That makes all the difference in the world. Because then we are able to look at the Word of God and look what the Lord says and are, with some degree of faith, able to say, Lord, I trust you that you are engaged at this point, not just in the future, but at this point, and bring about this return from captivity spiritually to Israel. 52.8, listen, watchmen, lift up your voices. Together they shout for joy when the Lord returns to Zion. They will see it with their own eyes. Eyes of faith, recognizing the fact that God is at work because He is sovereign.
and because he is faithful. And God's work, and this is a mystery of it, God's work somehow requires you and I to be engaged in his program. And this is a mystery. I mean, the truth is the God who created the world, the 14ers who created and fashioned each one of us, in a sense, really doesn't need us, Jewish answer, on one hand. On the, on the other hand, he does. God's programs require the engagement, uh, uh, the involvement of God's people. We see that, for example, with, with Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, the 70 weeks of Daniel were about to be completed, and Daniel goes to heavy-duty prayer and fasting. Why? Because he sensed that that was something that needed to happen and that he needed to seek God for it to happen. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. But part of the picture is that God calls on us to trust him, to believe in his program, and secondly, to engage in intercession that his program will in fact take place. Especially during the season, as we know, that there are hundreds of thousands of Jewish people who are seeking God. We want to pray on their behalf that God will indeed break through. Part of the process is communication. And I know for many of us, this seems like an undesirable part. Lord, I, I will do anything I'll fold uh, and, and put things in envelopes, I will pray. Don't ask me to share anything with anybody. And the Word of God here is very emphatic. There are a number of, number of action verbs, all of which have to do with communication. In other words, the Lord, through Isaiah, is saying, communicate, 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 communicate. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Hebrew verb there is just to proclaim good news. Another one of the words in there, mashmia, literally means to make or, or to somehow act in a way that people hear. In other words, to communicate in a way that people hear and understand rather than yell at them in a way that makes no sense. Verse, 50, uh, verse 8, listen, you watchmen, lift up your voices, shout for joy. You, you get the message here? This is to be communication that is vigorous, that is vigorous. And I'm sure you look at this and you say, okay, God, th that's not me. That's not me. And, of course, we want to see if God could provide some sort of a uh, escape clause. You know, some sort of a hatch that we can press a button, whoosh, be gone and not be part of the program. 
The Lord doesn't let us do that. You know, we can say to, to God like Moses did, Lord, I, look at me, blah, 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 blah. I, I can't talk. Especially when people challenge me, then I completely free, seize up. And, uh, you know, I, I turn five shades of purple. And if this is God's plan, folks, it comes with God's power. Not about us, not about our glory, not about our great ability to communicate. But it is simply heart to heart, our connecting with God's heart. And out of our heart, connect, which is connected with God's heart, we share His word with other people's hearts. We speak to them tenderly. And in Hebrew, by the way, it literally means speak to the heart. In, his, in Isaiah chapter 40. Heart to heart, folks. Not about superior eloquence or great ability to communicate or great smarts in terms of how you package the message of the good news. It's heart to heart. You connect with the heart of God your heart beats in sync with His and, and then you seek out of that to simply be available to speak His heart to the heart of those who, needs to, who need to know Him. Verse 12 is also fairly, uh, verse 11 is also fairly obvious, I hope. Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no one clean, you who carry the vessels of the Lord. If we understand our need to be communicators, those who are mouthpieces for God will understand the fact that God wants us to be holy. You know, we can't speak about who the Lord is and then do all kinds of garbage on the side. And here is the sanity saver for me, folks. I hope it is for you. As we engage in seeking to follow the Lord and to communicate his word, look at verse 12. You will not leave in, in haste or go in flight, for the Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. That gives us sanity, folks. That gives us a basic sense of security that it isn't about us and how wonderful we are or not, it is about, about us simply following the footsteps where the Lord has, has already prepared. The Lord goes before us and He is our rear guard. And because of that, we have confidence that He wants to do good things and He wants to use us. And if we understand that it's all about Him, then then it's for His honor and glory. And we simply say, Lord, we want to be part of that. So his plan is, in verse 6, Therefore my people will know my name. Therefore, in that day they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, I. The God of Israel want, wants the people of Israel 
to turn to him, to receive his redemption, restoration. And the Lord gives us this unbelievable honor as he calls us to, to participate and to be part of that. Are you willing? Are you willing? Lord God, we we acknowledge who you are. We acknowledge who you are, Lord. We recognize, Lord, our sin. But we choose not to park there, Lord. Our desire, Lord God, is to increasingly, Lord, know who you are, increasingly, Lord, understand your plans and purposes, increasingly be engaged in the work and seeing to it that your plans and purposes will be fulfilled. And Lord, we stand in awe, Lord God, of, of your faithfulness. We pray again, Lord God, that you would break through, that you would break through, Lord God, the walls of unbelief that hinder people from coming to know you, Lord. That especially, Lord God, as the intensity of the high holy days rises, Lord, and people are sense desperation for atonement, we pray, Lord God, that your spirit would draw people's attention, Jewish people in the synagogue and, and others, Lord, to recognize their redemption. Bring about salvation, Lord God, and use us, Lord God, as part of that great work. We ask all of this, Lord, in the name of Yeshua. Amen.